Well, howdy, West family. I know we are tired of hearing about how we miss each other, but I really, really do miss you. This season has been powerful in its ability to create a longing for so many things that we previously took for granted that we now miss uh, dearly. We ought to emerge from this season as a slightly hairier, slightly chubbier, but altogether more grateful people, um, just missing ordinary things from our regular day-to-day life. I miss seeing you all. I miss being in a room with you. I miss our awkward side hug, handshake, fist bump decisions um, and implementation of those decisions in our greetings. I miss the place we used to gather. I found myself parked outside our campus the other day just going, I miss being inside there with our people. I miss my car. I hardly ever get to see her anymore. I certainly miss haircuts, um, as you can see by what is going on on top of my head. I think I'm going to look like Fabio by the time this is over because the hair has really been the only thing that has been missing. I miss my kids' teachers so, so very much. I'm deeply sorry for taking you for granted for all of those years. I will never repeat such folly. I miss sport of all sorts. I miss it so much that I'd even watch baseball and take it seriously um, and engage with it as a meaningful sport and not just a pastime. I miss long trousers. I miss so many things that were just part of our everyday life. Today, we want to continue in our series called Times Like These, and we want to talk about fighting anxiety in times like these. This is a time that ought to have alleviated some of our anxieties, to be sure. It's definitely elevated others, though. It should have simplified our schedules um, and our running around, but it's also introduced many other sources of genuine fear and worry and anxiety into our lives. Some of you are anxious about health in a very real way. Some of you are anxious about money. Some of you are anxious about how this all resolves and about how you think it ought to resolve. Many of us are anxious about who gets to make the decisions about that resolution and how those decisions get made. Some of you are anxious about your Auntie Brenda's Facebook posts. Trust me, so am I. I've seen them and they're terrible. Some of you are anxious about isolation and loneliness and a re-emergence into society from that. Some of you, if you're like me, are anxious about your productivity and its associated sense of worth. I'll be honest, my days are blurring into each other and I feel pretty useless most days. When we entered into this thing, I declared this was going to be a time when I wrote a novel and learned to play the piano and how to speak Mandarin and finally got a six-pack and became a social media influencer and, 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 and as you can tell, I've accomplished none of those things. And so it is an anxious season, to be sure, an unusually anxious one. And today, I want to talk about some of the ways that we can push back against some of the sources of anxiety that we are experiencing at the moment. Now, as I have said before, 
when speaking on this topic, but worth mentioning again for clarity's sake, there is a difference between ongoing diagnosed clinical anxiety that really impacts our ability to function at what diagnostic tools determine is a normative level uh, that needs to be distinguished, diagnosed and treated by a professional. There's a difference between that and feelings of anxiety that come and go in seasons. And as a church, as the church, we need to do a better job of not just delineating between those things, but also at holding them in tension. They're not always mutually exclusive. You see, we are physical and emotional and spiritual beings. And so friends, we must understand that there are going to be just some physical things going on that require a different sort of treatment. And we can and must pray for healing for those who are suffering an anxiety disorder even while they go through that treatment. And we mustn't and should not condemn them any more than we would condemn someone who's getting treatment for any other physical ailment. But we also mustn't reduce people to purely physical beings. And we should make sure that we continue to think about the spiritual elements at play in all of the things that we experience as whole human beings, including our anxieties. So today, we wanted to just offer just some ammunition, some really practical tools um, to help you to fight back. And this ammunition, I think, will be helpful for both those who are stricken with an anxiety disorder and also those like me who just struggle to regulate their anxiety and perhaps especially so in this season. Friends, anxiety doesn't have to be a slippery slope that we inevitably fall down. The scriptures speak to us of ways that we can push back against any sense of inevitability in that space. The cycle of anxiety doesn't always have to escalate. There are some ways for us to push back against it in faith. And so today I want to look at one of my favorite texts in all the scripture. It comes from Philippians 4. It'll be familiar to many of you because it is oft quoted in different sections and it's so rich and full of wisdom. This text has been a go-to text for me since I was 17 years old and struggling with anxiety that most 17-year-olds experience, but I was experiencing it in a profound way and really struggling with it and struggling to see the work of God in my life. And a youth leader sat with me at a youth retreat that we were at and walked me through Philippians 4. And I wasn't in a good space at the time. I was seriously overwhelmed. And as he walked me through this text and gave me some practical tools to push back against the anxiety that was crippling me out of nowhere, um, faith really started to take hold in my heart. And as a result, this text has been precious to me ever since. Let's read it together. If you have a Bible, why don't you open it? But otherwise, I'll read it to you. It's from Philippians 4, and we'll start in verse 4. Just by the way, the whole of chapter 3 and chapter 4, we should commit most of it, if not all of it, to memory. It's remarkable. But we'll jump in in verse 4 of the fourth chapter. And Paul says to the church in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Okay, just briefly today, six observations, if you can tolerate them. They are wonderfully alliterated so that you can keep up with them and hopefully remember some of them. But just six observations from that text. In times like these, we pursue peace and we reduce anxiety by, number one, rejoicing in the Lord. We pursue peace and reduce anxiety by rejoicing in the Lord. Look at verse four, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now this is an instruction from Paul and he says it twice as an imperative. And I used to hate it because I didn't actually know how to obey it. I mean, Paul says rejoice always, which seems ridiculous because I don't always feel super rejoicing. Sometimes I just feel like meh, you know, just average. But he says, no, rejoice always. And then he says it twice for the people in the back, just in case you misheard him the first time around. I'll say it again, rejoice. So, so how do we obey this command? Well, here's the good news. Paul doesn't just call us to rejoice. He also gives us the source and the motivation for the rejoicing. Rejoice, yes. Always, yes. At what? Well, in the Lord. That's the source and the motivation of your rejoicing. Not in your circumstances, because those can change and sometimes they stink. Not in yourself, because you won't always be worthy of rejoicing in. Rejoice in what? In the Lord. Because you can do that in every circumstance in your life because he is always the same. And so he's always worthy of our rejoicing. Friends, this is very similar to what we said a couple of weeks ago about looking at things through the right lenses. When I look at God through the lack of clarity in my circumstances, then I have no idea what I'm looking at. It all becomes blurry and hazy. But when I look at all of my circumstances through the right lenses of what I know to be true about God, then I get clarity and that clarity reduces anxiety and that, anxi that reduction in anxiety leads to a rejoicing in my heart. When you don't have anything else to rejoice in, and maybe even more so when you do have circumstances to rejoice in, it helps you to have a God is dot, dot, dot list and to work your way through that list and to watch your heart start to rejoice as you start to remember the unchanging faithfulness and goodness and power and kindness of, and mercy of God. And so in my journal, I have scribbled here just, just eight God is statements that, that I like to work through. There are many more of these, but I like to work through these and then just watch my heart start to rejoice regardless of what I'm going through. God is love and he is 
loving towards me. It's in his nature to love even a wretch like me that, that causes rejoicing. God is powerful and in control of all things and working everything for our good and for his purposes. Even when my life seems out of control, he is powerful and he is working. God is gracious. Even when I mess up for the nine billionth time, God is kind. Even when I am unkind, God is wise. And so I go to him when I don't know what to do next. God is unchanging. Even though I change like the weather, God is forgiving giving and faithful in his forgiveness of me. And lastly, God is close and at hand and can be known by someone like me. Oh, friends, when I think of these things, my heart begins to rejoice regardless of what else is going on in my life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Friends, this is one of the reasons I miss our corporate gatherings because corporate worship is supposed to do this for us. Corporate worship, when we sing, is our, our God is list. And so we can come in with all of our circumstances, all of our baggage, and then we remember, oh yes, God is, God is, God is. And what happens? We start to rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. And so friends, we don't have the opportunity to do that at the moment. We're gonna have to remind ourselves who God is and choose to rejoice in him. All right, in times like these, we pursue peace and we reduce anxiety by rejoicing in the Lord, number one. Number two, remembering God's nearness. Remembering God's nearness. Look at verse five. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, that hope that Christians would be known as reasonable is a powerful hope. The word could equally be translated as agreeable or gentle in their approach. Oh man, what a blessed reputation that would be. I'm not sure Christians currently have that reputation in the world, but Paul says that's how you should be known. Everyone should go, oh, there's a reasonable bunch. Why? What's the motivation for our gentleness, our, our, our approachability? Well, according to Paul, it is the nearness of God. His phrase here is, the Lord is at hand. It's like saying the Lord is really, really close and tangible. Reach out and touch him. Now, the scholars have argued over this. They aren't sure if Paul is talking about the nearness of God in his current near available presence in his Holy Spirit, or if he's talking about the nearness of God in terms of his imminent return through his son, Jesus Christ, who's gonna come back and get his church. Either way, it actually helps us to push back our anxiety um, when we consider it. If we think of it in terms of his available closeness through his Holy Spirit, when we think of that, we start to go, oh my goodness, God hasn't left us because he isn't just near us, he is in us. And that knowledge should comfort us because if Christ is in me through his Spirit, then I am never, ever, ever truly alone. Never, ever. Elizabeth Elliot said this remarkable thing. She said, the key to happiness is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. <laughs> not me in a different set of circumstances. Friends, when we consider the nearness of God, his, his precious spirit dwelling within us, and we realize we're not alone, that reduces our anxiety. Well, what if Paul meant near in terms of his imminent return? Well, that helps reduce our anxiety because it reminds us that everything that we are enduring in this moment is temporary and it will be over soon. 
it will not last because in the blink of an eye, our Lord is going to be back for us and we're going to spend an eternity with him. A couple of years ago, um, I got given a Peloton exercise bike, which is first world problems I know. It's like suburban behavior 101. Um, and so I got on this thing and I started to figure it out and uh, I started to defeat the dad bod. You can tell its obvious effects uh, upon me right now by riding that thing every day. And there's a, a series of different instructors on the Peloton exercise bike. Some of them yell at you, some of them kind of like caress you with kindness. They've got different approaches to getting you less fat. Um, and, and I would ride this thing all the time and I started to realize I like the instructors who tell me what is coming in the exercise and the workout and stick to it. I don't like those who keep it a secret, right? I realized that I could endure almost any effort if I knew how long that effort was. And so an instructor who says, this is gonna really, really stink, but it's eight minutes long, I'm like, all right, I can do almost anything for eight minutes. Turns out that's not entirely true, but almost anything for eight minutes. If I know that that is the length, friends, uh, we know from the scriptures how it ends and we know Christ is gonna be back soon. We don't know exactly what that time is, but we know that this is temporary. And so we can endure because when will he be back? Soon, soon sooner than we think. I really love the way the Bible ends. It says, he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. Friends, I love that. The nearness of God, he's, he's on his way. He's coming soon. And that reduces our anxiety. That helps us to endure because we know that the time that we have to endure is not very long. Martin Luther said that all Christians should live with this kind of urgency, that it would make us more fervent in our faith. He said, live as if Christ died yesterday, as if he rose this morning, and as if he is coming back tomorrow. <laughs> that is one of the surest ways for us to push back against the anxiety of this world. Because when we think that what we have to endure is just never endingly ongoing, man, that's burdensome. When we think it'll be over soon, then we can get through. All right, in times like these, we pursue peace and we reduce anxiety by rejoicing in the Lord, by remembering God's nearness. Thirdly, by requesting God's help. Look at verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, not in most things, not in some things, not in the big things, everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, friends, it would seem like just a cruel command from Paul if he just said, don't be anxious. It would make us anxious just to think of all the ways that we disobey it. I mean, I'm an anxious person, person by nature. I get pessimistic. I play through thousands of worst-case scenarios. It drives my poor family nuts. Here is what I have discovered, though. Paul gives us an out. He gives us an alternative. He says, don't do that. Do this. It is almost impossible, not entirely, but almost impossible for me to fret and to pray at the same time. <laughs> I just usually choose to fret and to dwell in anxiety. Now, friends, I'm, I'm not saying there aren't anxious prayers. There's lots of them. There's plenty of them in Scripture. I've prayed many of them, and I'm sure I'll pray many more. I am saying that it is very difficult to languish in anxiety and to lean on God in prayer at the same time. 
You see, prayer, by its very nature and posture, fights back against our anxious disposition. Why? Well, prayer, in its very nature, says two things very clearly. Firstly, it says, I am not God. It states that the fact that you need to pray to God is a declaration you are not God. And that reduces our anxiety because it just made my self-imposed job description of ruler of the universe a lot smaller, right? When I don't have that load to work through, then I go, okay, I'm just a creature and a loved creature at that. And secondly, prayer declares that God is God. It says those two things in its nature, otherwise you wouldn't do it. And that reduces anxiety because it says that the one who hears me actually has the power to do something. So it's a declaration that I don't have power and that God does have power. And both of those things help me to reduce the anxious load in my life. Think about it. There is no power in prayer unless we pray to someone who is all-powerful. And there is no power in prayer unless we are acknowledging that we are powerless. And both of those things slowly, when repeated, gnaw away at the sense of anxiety that we have in our life. Remember I told you at the beginning about that youth leader who really helped me out on the stairs of that that campsite. Here was his cheesy advice to me that day. I don't even know if this was good advice, but it stuck with me. And it's actually something that I still practice. He said, make your petitions known to God. I said, okay, good. He said, but write them down for yourself and then put them in an envelope. And every time those things start to make you anxious, those things start to overwhelm you, look at that envelope and remember that you have sealed it and that you gave those things to God. Let that envelope with those notes of the things that were causing you anxiety that you handed to God, let them be a reminder to you that you are not God and that He is and that you've given these things to Him. It's been a silly, tactile, practical tool that I've used for over 20 years in my life and still use today, a tangible reminder, I'm not God. And I've given these things to Him. And so now I can let them go. In times like these, we pursue peace and we reduce anxiety by rejoicing in the Lord, remembering God's nearness, requesting God's help, and fourth, reflecting in thanks. Look again at verse six, it says, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's what I've realized in my life. Anxiety seldom takes the time to look back. It looks forward with uncertainty and fear about what comes next. And it helps to temper it by looking back with thanksgiving at what God has done before. Paul says, don't just make requests, also remember to give thanks. When, when I am tempted to fret, I force myself to sit down and consider the goodness of God towards me in my life. Look at where he has brought me to. Look at how faithful he has been. His grace is so overwhelming in those moments. Even in things in my life where I look back and go, those circumstances were bad, they could have been significantly worse, but for the goodness and kindness and faithfulness of God. Friends, I struggle to be anxious when I look back at my life and just see his hand all the way through. He has kept me, even me, though I have strayed from the path. 
He has blessed me, even me, though I've been faithless on countless occasions. He has pursued me, even me, when my heart has been cold towards him. I am thankful because God has been kind to me and he has dealt kindly with me, even me. That helps me to remember his goodness and to reduce my anxiety. In times like these, we pursue peace and reduce anxiety by rejoicing in the Lord, remembering God's nearness, requesting God's help, reflecting in thanks. Here comes the fifth one. Letting righteousness stand God. Letting righteousness stand God. Look at verse seven, I love it. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love this image. When we think of peace, we think of something timid. And so Paul uses this wonderful metaphor. He says, no, no, peace, which is from God and which surpasses all understanding, it'll be ridiculous, the extent of it. Let that guard, let that stand watch, let that be the security guard over your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. This illustration will seem strange to us in suburban USA. But where I'm from in Johannesburg, there's a a real wrestle in that society, a society that's hugely unequal and hasn't dealt well with the sins of the past, but there's a real wrestle with violent crime in that emerging and young democracy. And you kind of just get used to it when you're there. But part of what it takes to just kind of flourish and survive is that uh, as soon as you can afford it, if you can afford the luxury of it, uh, you hire a private security company to look after you and your loved ones and your homes. And so the homes in the suburbs, they look very different to to the homes here. They've got high walls and electric fences and dogs that that are there to bite people and not just to take on walks. And um, you really need to think through how you can protect your family. And your your biggest fear in in that scenario is a home environment. Where, where as you pull into your, your, your gate, which slides open off of a remote, as you pull in, someone would follow you into the house and then they're in there with you. It's very difficult for them to get in otherwise, but if they follow you in, uh, th- that's the, the, the best way for them to be able to, to terrorize you and your family. And it's one of my biggest, biggest fears. And so when I would come home late at night, sometimes after an elders meeting, for instance, and it's, uh, it's late night and you've had a long day, what I would do is I would call my security company and I would ask for one of their guards to meet me at the house. And they would come in their vehicle with a couple of armed guards and they would pull in behind me. And as I pulled into my driveway, they would block off the entrance to my driveway and watch me go into the house, watch me close the gate and then watch me get in through the front door. And as I closed the front door, I would look out at my driveway and I would wave at my security guard who was still parked there. And what did did I feel? Peace, why? He's on guard. My family is safe. I can now retreat into this space and I don't need to give another thought to, is someone following me into this place? Having him on guard gave me great peace. Paul says, let the peace of God, let him stand God at the door of your heart, and then you can start to experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. And then Paul adds this on to the end here. It's his favorite phrase for for how we are unified with Christ, how we are actually identified as Christians. He says, in Christ Jesus. And so you need to be reminded that you are in Christ, that, that, that you are in union with him, that you are covered by his righteousness, that you are sheltered by his perfection, that you are justified by his work, that you are hiding in the cleft of the rock that he has carved for you. And then you let him stand there and 
guard your hearts and mind and you experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. Why? Because regardless of what you're going through, you can go, I am united to the righteousness of Christ. Nothing else can touch that. And that brings me tremendous peace. And that helps me to reduce my anxiety. There's a God who stands watch over my heart and mind if I remember that I'm hidden in the safety, in the grasp, the firm grasp of Christ Jesus. In times like these, we pursue peace and we reduce anxiety by rejoicing in the Lord, remembering God's nearness, requesting God's help, reflecting in God's thanks, letting righteousness stand God, and then lastly, by replacing our default thoughts. Look at what he says, verse eight. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and what the peace of God will be with you. Friends, Paul says, you have to actually watch what you fill your mind with. You you take things to God, you lay them at his feet, you remember who he is, you remember how near he is, how strong he is, how weak you are, how good he has always been to you, how you are sheltered in union with his son. Now, what will you turn your thoughts to next? This is where my cheesy teenaged envelope has come in handy because it was a tangible reminder for me to not take back what I had entrusted to the Lord. I do that all the time. I've barely said amen when I'm right back fretting over what I just said I trusted him with. And it is shown and exposed by what I give my thoughts to and what I allow to stimulate my thinking and my emotions. What are you filling your mind with in this season? We're not short of information. There's actually too much, none of it clear. We're not short of stimulation. There's actually too much, so much of it not edifying or helpful. What do you fill your mind with? With things that lead to further anxiety or things that lead you to peace? You choose what goes in here, friends. We aren't passive puppets just consuming mindlessly. We can turn stuff off. We can log out of things that don't help. Paul knows that we are physical and psychological and emotional and spiritual beings. And he knows that our thought patterns have long-term outcomes. And he knows that those thought patterns are stimulated and formed by the thoughts that we allow to enter into our psyche day in and day out. Friends, what you give your thoughts to is what your thoughts will give back to you. What you give your thoughts to is what your thoughts will give back to you. What kind of trades are we making on that deal at the moment? So many of us have anxious thoughts because it's what we constantly allow ourselves to be stimulated by. It's what we give our thoughts to. And then we wonder why they give us anxiety back. Our dear friends, in times like these, there is hope that we could be a different sort of people, a people who experience a peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let us be those who push back 
and who get to know and experience the peace of God in this time. Wouldn't it be phenomenal if part of our witness in this season was that we were a people of unprecedented peace? If our neighbors and friends and family looked at us bemused because we had something that they couldn't explain away, the peace of God, it is available even to us in times like these. Will you? Will you fight back? Will you grab hold of it as God grabs hold of you? Do not be anxious, but in everything, in everything. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for your word. I never tire of this text. Even today, I feel like I've preached it to myself. So I pray that you would use it to speak to your people, to encourage your people, to strengthen your people. I pray that you would give us peace that surpasses all understanding to God, our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, do your work. Be powerful in our lives. Be speaking to us even now. And I pray that as we all try to figure out how we emerge from this crazy season, that we would not be governed by anxiety, but that we would be a people of supernatural peace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.